Hey everyone, you're listening to The Youth Vote, where we explore the different ways young people interact with politics. I'm Isaac Goff Mitchell. It is November 3rd of 2020, Election Day. And today, we hope to give you a glimpse into the important work being done at various levels of politics, despite whatever happens with our presidential election. We are not going to talk about Trump or Biden. So, keep listening to hear our conversation with Christina Haswood. She's a 26-year-old running unopposed for the state representative seat in Kansas's 10th district. She will be the youngest current representative and the third ever Native American in the Kansas legislature. Keep listening as she explains what compelled her to run and how she plans to utilize her expertise in public health to expand healthcare across her state. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. My name is Christina Haswood. I'm a candidate for the Kansas House Representatives in District 10. So I'm on my way to the capital in Kansas in Topeka. I'm also an indigenous woman. I am Navajo from the Navajo Nation and I am 26 years old. To kind of get into my questions, before we talk about like your policies and why you decided to um, kind of get involved in this, I wanted to ask you, um, what was like the thing that made you want to run initially? Like, was there like a moment or was it kind of like a build up to this? I always had the idea of running for some type of office position, like getting involved in politics. This mainly stemmed from my professional background as a public health professional. Um, what we kind of do is research, social science, reading papers, conducting research, presenting at conferences, that type of academia life. I was always curious to see that every type of health issue that we worked on, and I work solely on Indigenous health for the past like six years, um, any type of issue that we would address, it would go or we would have to meet with an elected official. Um, because they get to vote on maybe funding or this type of billing passage. And every time I would meet with an elected official or one of their staffers, if you're in DC, they wouldn't know much about the indigenous history um, and being Native American or let alone they haven't even visited a reservation. So they really didn't have this knowledge of, uh, of what we have, our tribal sovereignty and our treaty rights. And I became frustrated with the process because when you meet with like a staffer or your congressman or woman in DC, you get about 30 minutes. And for me, about 15 minutes of that was just spent or wasted on a history lesson, trying to educate them, get them up to speed to 2020. Um, and I think that's another reason why in parallel comparison that a lot of our indigenous issues seem to be about 30 or so years later. Um, and we're always behind in that system. Um, so I was always thinking, who do I need to talk to to see if we can, if they can run against this person, because I think they would do a better job. And I would always try and think, okay, who can, who could be this candidate? But I never really thought it could be myself until I saw like Congresswoman Sharice Davids win her seat in Kansas. I always thought if I were to go into politics, um, Kansas wouldn't be it, wouldn't be the state because the representatives that represent me don't look like me at all, at all levels of government. And it wasn't until she won her seat and Congresswoman Deb Holland, as well as Representative Ponkawi Victors here in Kansas, I saw women who look like me and who came from this indigenous background, who are proud to be an indigenous woman, um, make it in policy and politics. Um, so that's when me being a politician or the, the thought of it started to become into a reality. 
And this is where I really wanted to bridge public health and policy and law. Um, frankly, avoiding law school and going the master's in public health route and research because there's also a big gap in Native American research. If you go on PubMed and put in American Indian, Native American Indigenous person of North America and to any health disparity, you're probably going to get less than 100 articles, maybe less than 50 articles in comparison to other races or the majority general population. So all of this was really um, churning me. And when I started to focus on Kansas state policy, I started just going to my representatives. They would have like this Saturday morning coffee talk where they would brief the constituents on what was happening in Topeka. And I would go and I would be the only person of color there, the only Native American person, indigenous person, the only young Native American indigenous person of color and that list keeps growing. So that added um, another responsibility that I was happy to carry for the people who couldn't be there because it was, it really opened my eyes to the amount of privilege that someone has, you know, a Saturday morning free to meet their representative in their legislature to have this one-on-one -on -one conversation with. And that's what really interests me in politics. And it also interests me that I feel like I was a late bloomer into politics and voting. I cast my first vote in 2016. And just reflecting on my history as an indigenous woman, we were only citizens um, in 1924, which is less than 100 years ago, we look at other states where they had discrimination voting against Native Americans, that enraged me. And I was like, what am I doing? I need to do as much as possible and to empower my other Indigenous brothers and sisters and BIPOCs into voting because look what the system had tried to do to suppress us. Now we have a chance to you know, really involve ourselves in the system because our voices are heard, our voices need to be heard and our voice carries power. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And like, there's a lot to unpack there. And so to kind of take it back to one of the first things you said is you talked about how uh, once you saw people who looked like you running for office, it became more of a reality. And so I guess like, obviously, you can only speak to your specific experience, but on kind of a widespread um, conversation, do you think that there's a problem with representation, and that through you running for this, you could perhaps inspire other indigenous people and other women of color to run for office? I think a lot of, I think particularly this summer where we saw the big movement of social injustice, even though it might've been prominent this summer, it's not a new issue. And dismantling systemic racism, we have people who are not from these communities um, trying to fix this problem and we kind of see an issue or maybe they don't really understand, like I say, Many of my leaders maybe not have gone to a reservation before, just as simple as that as being involved in your community. Um, I think it is really a big problem with representation. And I think, you know, reflecting back on my childhood, not a lot of young girls were saying, I want to be a politician until we saw women, you know, running for president, or we saw, you know, women, women being vice president. And now I'm getting, I, I just checked my email this morning and there's some another young lady that was nine year nine years old that emailed me saying I you know I briefly read it but she was inspired about me and see me so I you know me being and inspiring other young women that's so amazing just to see that I think representation matters and I think for me I'm a visual learner so when I see somebody you know on my timeline or on social media that's why we branched out to TikTok because we wanted to reach a much of a broader audience as possible um it's really I guess humbling to have this inspiration and, you know, the issues that I wanna work on, like climate change and, 
you know, healthcare and our education, public education systems, all these issues are big. I'm not going to fix it in my two-year term. These are issues that are, you know, that happened before I was born. It will happen when I'm dead and gone or <laughs> my grandchildren will need to um, pick up these issues and keep moving forward with these issues. So I am really just inspired by the youth that, you know, I always have them involved with me with my decision processing. My entire campaign team is my entire campaign team is under 30 years old. So I always run these issues and policies with the thought that we need youth perspective and input because this we're, they're going to inherit all these decisions that we make. And sometimes most of the time it's a bad inheritance. <laughs> Well, I love to hear that your whole campaign team is under 30. That is just incredible. Um, and kind of pivoting a little bit from the idea of like representation, I wanted to talk about how identity plays a role in um, the um, election and then also how it will play a role in you um, being an elected official. Because I, I did a little bit of research before this interview and I saw that um, unless I'm wrong, you'll be the third ever um, Native American elected to Kansas's state legislature. So that's really a big, obviously, I mean, a huge step. And my question from that is, is there any sense of like fear or anxiety about the way that you'll be able to interact with this majority white, majority male body um, as an elected official? I've been thinking about that. And the one thing that I've been really dabbling in my mind is what am I what am I gonna how am I gonna react if someone says something out of line or racist to me because that's happened in grad school and I don't know if I can control my face I could probably control what comes out of my mouth um to not get on a big newspaper headline something crazy that Christina does that they didn't they did a Native American racist comment to her um I think that's the thing I'm dabbling with now like how do I carry myself very professionally because not only is it great to see me, um, I think people who support me think this is really great, but people who don't support me and my ideas um, and the stances I take on issues are waiting to see me fall. Maybe they'll poke me until I, you know, burst out of anger. I don't know, but um, I really think, you know, going into the state legislature that's not really represented and diverse, I think is also exciting because I pride myself on being able to work on all sides of the aisle and everywhere in between because when I got into public health policy and healthcare policy it was actually last summer in DC and being Native American any type of tribal sovereignty issue you actually need both sides of the aisles of support so I've been taught to when I talk about policy to our elected officials um, you know we are there to to work together. Um, there's no one party that we favor or not. We need to, at the end of the day, come together and pass these legislations and issues for the greater the people. I did want to focus uh, or change focus a little bit to talk to you about healthcare for a few minutes, if we could, before the interview um, wraps up. And so I saw that, um, and you see me looking to the side, I have another screen. I saw that you um, have plans to focus in on healthcare. And you had talked about um, the idea of expanding Medicare to more people. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit, like, what does that look like? And is that a need that's a Kansas need? Or is that like a national issue that needs to be addressed? So here in the state of Kansas, uh, Medicaid expansion is the big topic. 
And I believe we're one of few states that hasn't expanded Medicaid. And this is a extreme issue, long overdue issue. Um, it's actually shameful because they had an opportunity to expand it in one of their special sessions um, during the pandemic in June, but it didn't pass. Um, you know, people who thought differently didn't, weren't satisfied with what the language was, um, but I, I'm still trying to understand why you wouldn't want to give healthcare insurance to Kansans who need it during a pandemic um, at a time where we need, you know, COVID screenings or, you know, just overall wellness of health checking. Um, and I find it also interesting too, when we talk about a vaccine, how are the people who are uninsured going to get this vaccine? Um, that's what's really on my mind right now. And I think it would help bridge the gap. So in public health, we're always saying these are the disparities to one health issue. Not only maybe is someone not educated on nutritious foods, but it's because maybe they're unemployed or they're in poverty or their zip code really determines and puts a lot of barriers for maybe in another person who has more privilege of less barriers to this health issue. Um, Medicaid expansion would help close the gap on things, though it's not the perfect solution to things. I think it's a solution that would help over 150,000 Kansans get this basic uh, of this health insurance that they need at a really crucial time. Wow. So it'd be essentially like you, you pass this bill, 150,000 people in Kansas have access to health care that currently don't have access. It's like that big of a change. Yeah. And it's one of those policies where it's people are at this gray of this line of maybe being covered by Medicaid, but they're often, maybe they get a new job opportunity that they make a lot more money that they would get kicked off of this Medicaid. But maybe when we expand it, they'll be able to stay on and take that better job opportunity. Instead, maybe they would have to decline a job so they could stay within this income level. So not only them and their family or their kids can have healthcare insurance. Um, it's, it's really, interesting and a complex issue and it also help our rural areas out too with our rural hospitals have a, a couple have been shut down um, and this Medicaid expansion will help pay for people who receive this health care um, and hospitals not only will help provide care but also help provide the economics of these small rural areas because when you get a hospital you hire more health care providers they need somewhere to eat they need somewhere to live they need somewhere to get their gas um, so it would also help build the economy of that as well. Wow. Yeah. I had never thought about even the way that you, you know, you pass a healthcare bill and then all of a sudden you have more restaurant jobs and like things like that. It's so interesting when you explain it out like that. The final topic I wanted to focus in on is obviously, so you're a healthcare professional and you'd be one of very few healthcare professionals in this um, uh, political body. Um, and in November, we can assume the pandemic is still going to be raging and I know projections say up until the end of 2021, 2022, there's really like these, you know, projections saying this is going to be a problem for a long time. So my question to you is, as a healthcare professional, what do you prioritize other than the expansion of Medicaid when it comes specifically to handling the pandemic that we're all dealing with? First and foremost, I want to put the health and safety of Kansans first. We can't rebuild our economy until we have health and safety and health, healthy Kansans to get back into the workforce. Um, and I look at this with other issues such as the public education system. 
where they might be struggling on wanting to fully reopen their schools or go to a hybrid or stay online. Of course, that also opens doors of other issues such as broadband, which is another big issue here in Kansas, um, where we see broadband still not being treated as a basic utility need. I think that the pandemic has really exposed that to that. Um, I really, I'm looking forward to maybe working on some legislation that would um, make broadband that much of a priority, such as food and water and electricity and heating and gas. That's our show, everyone. Thank you so, so much to Christina, and thank you all for listening. Please be sure to tune in on November 17th for our next episode, where I will be speaking with climate activist Haven Coleman. The Youth Vote is hosted by me, Isaac Mitchell, produced and edited by Jamie Hobbs, with cover art from Cole Callahan, intro and outro music by Ennio Gallucci, and social media management by Bridget Junker.